The subject I want to look at this evening, you might have picked up as we read those, as sang those hymns and our readings this evening, can really be summed up as this, dealing with the strange providences of God. God works in our lives in ways which we often find difficult. We don't always know what is going to happen. We don't know the reasons why certain events come upon us. But God brings about his will to all men by his providence. That is, God working in this world in which we live. And I want to look this evening at this particular verse, chapter 40 of Genesis, dealing with the life of Joseph, and to see something and perhaps to try and draw out some lessons concerning this idea of dealing with the providences of God. Joseph must have been devastated to find himself in prison. He'd already been taken as a slave. He'd been rejected by his brothers. He'd been portrayed to his father as being dead. And then he finds himself in the home of Potiphar, and suddenly things are looking better, and he's working well there. The future in that household had seemed so bright. Here was Joseph now head of Potiphar's household. And then Potiphar's wife sets her eye upon him and makes false accusations against him. And the result of that is that he ends up in prison. He was still waiting for the dreams that he had had when a young lad of 17 to be fulfilled. Those dreams which promised that the day would come when the whole of his family his parents and all of his brothers would bow down to him and obey him. But none of those things had yet come to pass. And we don't know how long Joseph had been in prison, but he's now 28 when the events of chapter 40 unfold. And it will be yet another two years before he is eventually released. So how does Joseph deal with the disappointment of where he is? And we're introduced into this chapter 40, uh, these two officials of the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. One was the butler, or the cupbearer, as sometimes known, the other, the baker. These were important men. Uh, the cupbearer was an important position in the court. If you remember the story of Nehemiah, he was the cupbearer to his king, and he had much responsibility. But also the baker had much responsibility. It was beyond just the providing of food or serving Pharaoh uh, with uh, wine and drink or bringing bread. These two men were in responsible positions. They not only served the king of Egypt, but they also acted as advisors. And then we come to read in the opening verse of this 40th chapter, it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Now, we don't know what they did. We're not told what these two men had done to upset their lord, the pharaoh, the king of Egypt, but they're imprisoned because of this offence. And so they're committed to the captain of the guard and put in prison. Of course, don't forget that the captain of the guard was Potiphar that we'd heard of previously. And so Joseph is put in prison, and he's there for some time. And back in chapter 39, we found, when we read verses 22 and 23, that the keeper of the prison 
committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison didn't look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the previous chapters, we summed it all up like this. We said whatever Joseph was, wherever he found himself, he got on with the job. When he first came to Egypt, even as a slave, there in Potiphar's household, he got on with the job that was given to him. So much so, and he did that job so well, and the Lord was with him, and the Lord prospered him, that he was raised to this elevated position of being in charge of the whole house of Potiphar. And now he's in prison. And again, Joseph goes about making the best of the very disappointing situation he finds himself in. He must have been devastated, being thrown in prison for something he did not do. But there he was, and he gets on with the job before him, working out his Christian principles in his life. As a man of faith, he was determined to serve his God in whatever position he found himself. And there he is. Now he's actually in charge of the prison, responsible to the keeper. And these two new prisoners are assigned to Joseph's care to help look after these two senior officials. Now, Joseph wasn't to know about it at this stage, but it would be through one of them that he would be brought to the attention of Pharaoh. But that was still several years away. Joseph knew nothing about that. Joseph saw his own affliction as an opportunity to do good to others. He saw his own problems, his own difficulties, as a means by which he could serve his God. And the Apostle Paul looked on affliction in the same way. Uh, when he was imprisoned in Rome, he saw it as an opportunity. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Later on in Philippians chapter 4, uh, Paul concludes, he says, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. And it's clear that his time of being incarcerated there meant that Paul was able to share the love of Christ with those even within the very household of Caesar. And there were those that believed. I suppose we can say this, one thing that we can be certain of, and that is that unbelievers are very quick to observe Christian behaviour and to observe Christians who are in the, the midst of problems. And they will only too readily form an opinion of Christianity based on how they see individual Christians react. If we are truly a child of God, then that has to be seen in the way that we live our lives, by what we do by how we react to those in need and in difficulty. And Joseph here sets us an example. Rather than bemoaning his own poor situation in which he's in, he took time to serve others even in the midst of his problems. So that as Potiphar had previously been forced to marvel at Joseph's God, so in due course would even Pharaoh. And in Genesis 41, we read, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, 
There is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. So in other words, the the very character of Joseph, the way that he worked, the way that he gave himself uh, to helping others to show the love of his God was seen in those who had responsibility over him. As one commentator writes, it's as if it was something like this. Look how he handles his troubles. There must be something to this Christianity. We were thinking this morning of the need of giving testimony of the love of Christ. And one of the ways in which we can do that and one of the reasons we can give for the hope that we have is when people see the way that we live and how we cope with all the difficulties and the trials and the problems and the health issues that come upon us. Joseph had a great concern for others. He didn't just look after these prisoners. He expressed concern for them. In verses 6 and 7, we read this, And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Oh, why do you look so sad today? It was seen that Joseph took his responsibilities seriously. He was a friend as well as a servant to them. Our own experiences and our own disappointments should make us more sympathetic to the needs of others. When we have been through or in the midst of trials and difficulties, it enables us to view others in similar situations with a caring empathy. And it was because Joseph was kind and showed such concern that these two officials opened their hearts to him. And this will be the start of a series of events that would actually literally save the lives of thousands of people in the days and years that were to come. And so as we conclude this first section this evening, there's a lesson here in the example of Joseph. And it is this, don't dwell on your disappointments. Don't dwell on your circumstances that may be difficult. But as Joseph did, trust the Lord to deal with your situation. And whilst you're in the midst of your troubles, look around. There are many others that need your help. Show true concern for one another. And being absorbed with the presence and the purpose of God and the needs of others will not make your problems disappear. I'm not suggesting that for one moment. But it will make them more bearable. And as you help others, you find yourself will find encouragement in serving our God. So we deal with the disappointments of the Lord's providences. And then secondly, dealing with dreams. Now, these two officials both had a dream, the baker and the butler. And there's a similarity in the dreams, but there was also some differences. And we've already seen that Joseph had received two dreams And in each case, the dreams are associated with the prophecy of God. In other words, they revealed what was to come. Uh, Dreams are not uncommon in the Old Testament. This is one of the ways that God spoke to people. In fact, God used all manner of ways of revealing himself in the Old Testament, from creation to the plagues, for the miracles such as dividing the Red Sea, of the dealing with the Uh, matters of Pharaoh, 
for Gideon's fleece from the many prophets who spoke to the Lord God himself, writing the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone, even to the casting of lots. God spoke to his people in these different ways. And, of course, it raises the question, does God still speak to us today in a similar way? Are we to expect dreams and visions to be the way that God uses to reveal himself to us today, either individually or as a group or as a church? Are these methods still applicable to the church today? Should we be seeking for dreams and visions and interpreting them? Well, the author to the book of the Hebrews answers these questions in the opening verses of his epistle. He says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. What does that mean? Well, it says the author of the Hebrews is pointing out that the fullness of revelation is now complete. It's final in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, no further revelation is needed. Christ is the final revelation. The scriptures that we have now in our hands from Genesis to Revelation is the final and complete and sufficient declaration of God's word to each one of us. Matthew Henry made this comment. We must expect no new revelation, but only more of the spirit of Christ to help us better understand what is already revealed. The commentator F.F. Bruce wrote this. The story of divine revelation is a story of progression up to Christ, but there is no progression beyond him. So I would suggest that dreams as a way of God speaking is reserved to the Old Testament because the scriptures were not full, they're not filled, were not completed. But with the completion of the scripture, with the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of the New Testament, it is that we no longer need any further revelations from God. And our prayer is we seek that the Spirit of God would help us in our understanding. And we turn to these scriptures at every aspect of our lives and what we do. So with that in mind, let's look now at the dreams of these two officials because they were dreams which were God speaking to them and by Joseph as he interpreted them. So firstly then, let's think of the cupbearer or the butler. Uh, The dream was quite appropriate for the work of the chief butler. He'd seen a vine with three branches They budded, they blossomed, they produced grapes. And he sees in his dream that he squeezes the grapes and produces grape juice for the king to drink. And God gives Joseph the interpretation. Three days and the cupbearer would be released and restored to his former position. And Joseph was able to foresee the chief butler's deliverance. It's interesting that Joseph's interpreting this dream sees the butler's deliverance, but yet at this point he is unable to foresee his own. God has not revealed that to him. 
No doubt he remembered the dreams he'd had those years ago. And he had to sport himself with those thoughts without any new or fresh discoveries. You see, we too are like Joseph in that sense. We have in God's word visions of glory to come. And we're called to trust what God has revealed. We have the great promises that the day will come when we will be with him forever. The day will come when we will pass into eternity and be in his presence. We have that great promise of full forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. And so it's at that vision of glory that we have and we are called to trust what God has revealed. And so Joseph is speaking to this butler reveals to him what is going to happen. And Joseph, is interesting, makes a plea on his own behalf. He says in verses 14 and 15, but remember me when it's well with you. Please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house, for indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and I also have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. Joseph asks this royal cupbearer to remember him because he's in prison for uh, no reason. He wants this cupbearer to show kindness and put in a good word with the king, Pharaoh. He emphasizes, as we said, his wrongful imprisonment. And Joseph, you see, is not wrong to use this occasion to seek redress. He's not complained, but trusted God. He waited patiently for God to act, but that doesn't mean that you sit down and do nothing. Psalm 37 says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. So it's not a denial of this trust to use the opportunities that God gives to change our situation for the better. In fact, Paul uses his civil rights, doesn't he, when he thought it was necessary. In Acts, we read this, as they bound Paul with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? What Paul was saying is, look, I'm a Roman citizen. And you can't do this to me. And Paul was right. And so he got some relief from what the situation was. And as one of the commentators puts it like this, he says, we must not confuse providence with fatalism. The commentator Don Carson writes this, we are encouraged to trust the goodness of a sovereign providential God while confronting and opposing the evil that takes place in this fallen world. We could say this, for example, God has blessed us in this country with the National Health Service. We have doctors and nurses, and they've got skills and medications to help and alleviate our illnesses and disabilities. And it's not wrong to use such things whilst maintaining our trust in God's providential dealings with us. In other words, we trust God, but we also care for the things around us. I think it was apocryphal, but it's uh, uh, related to Oliver Cromwell, who apparently said to his troops to pray God and keep your powder dry. 
Uh, whether he actually said that or not, I don't know. But the sentiment is right. In every situation, we pray God, we trust God, but we use sensible ways of dealing with the situations around us. And so the butler receives this uh, interpretation of the dream he had, and with great joy, no doubt, he went off to serve Pharaoh on Pharaoh's birthday. And then we have the baker. Oh, he must have been really encouraged when he heard the interpretation of the butler's dream. And so he could hardly wait to get out his own dream and tell Joseph. It too was appropriate to his profession, had three baskets of food on his head, in the top basket all kinds of baked food for Pharaoh, but before he could deliver it, the birds swooped down to devour it. But here the interpretation was altogether different. Three days and the baker would be hung. And Joseph doesn't hold back on telling the baker the gruesome news. He's direct, and he tells him the truth. You know, we might have been tempted to say, well, perhaps it would have been kinder not to tell the baker, even if you knew what was going to happen. Let him feel good for a couple of days. Let him spend the last few days in blissful ignorance. Too often, you know, what we consider kindness is cruel and what we consider being cruel is often kindness. Joseph's word gave the baker time to prepare for eternity. You see, the true prophets of the Lord are faithful in preaching judgment as well as salvation. And that is what we are called to preach from the pulpit. That's what we are called to say today. Preachers are too often criticised for preaching judgment or against immorality. Oh, we don't want to hear those things. We want to hear about the love of God. We want to hear about the love of Christ. We don't want to hear about his wrath or his justice, but they are realities of God. And if we are a messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we must declare that the wages of sin is death. If you're not a Christian here this evening you have a horrible eternity to look to because you will not be in the presence of a loving God. You will not receive forgiveness if you've not put your trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have to preach what is the judgment of God as well as the good news. And the most remarkable thing, and you'll see this for yourself if you read through the scriptures, whenever we come across those Moments of judgment, there's also a judgment of light. There's also the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We read that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's perhaps when we start to really take on board the seriousness of our sin and to see the way in which we have offended a holy God and that the only thing we deserve is his wrath and condemnation, is that we see our need of salvation, and that we can turn to Christ. And our God is saying, come to the Lord Jesus. Come in repentance, come in faith, and you will receive the forgiveness of sins. So we are called always to be truthful in our preaching, always to declare the full counsel of God, no matter how unpalatable it may seem. We've said this before from this pulpit, this is one of the reasons why we are so keen on what is known as expository preaching. It is that we go through parts of the scriptures 
uh, one chapter after another. So I've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew on Sunday morning and Timothy on Sunday evening, why I've been looking at the book of Genesis. The one thing that it does, it means that you have to deal with the subjects as they come up. You have to declare what God wants us to hear. So Joseph telling the truth demonstrates Joseph as a man of virtue. One commentator writes on this, says, oh, that we had men like that in the church today. These two dreams, the baker and the butler, were fulfilled exactly as Joseph had interpreted. But Joseph had asked the butler to remember him before Pharaoh. And no doubt Joseph was delighted when the butler was reinstated on on Pharaoh's birthday. Perhaps it would only be a day or so before Joseph would be released. But the hours turned into days, the days into weeks. And he realised he'd been forgotten. Verse 23 of chapter 40. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Here was another test of faith for Joseph. A further setback. Another disappointment. And it would be two years before he would be remembered. We're reminded yet again here that we're not to trust on human help. Joseph was once again thrown wholly on the Lord. The psalmist writes in Psalm 146, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. So the way of dealing with disappointments is always to take them to the Lord to again see our dependence upon him in all the frustrating experiences of life. Then as we draw these issues to a close this evening, the issue of dealing with these providences of God. You see, God has promised to care for his children and to supply all their needs. We read of that in the epistle of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 19. It is one of the most encouraging promises we find in scripture which says and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, We are sometimes tempted to think that the only way to deal with the problem we have in front of us whether it's health or financial or relationships or whatever it is is for God to remove them but that's never the promise. My God said he would not take away the issues, but he would supply your need according to his riches in glory. Some of God's children find themselves sick. Some bereaved of loved ones. Some lonely. Some struggling financially. Some misunderstood. Some in difficult relationships. Some rejected by their families. And some Christians find it difficult to keep going in whatever they see as the strange providences of God. And such times can bring a temptation to bitterness, thinking somehow that God has let them down, God has failed them. But we need to remember that God's providences are not strange. He has always dealt with his children according to his will. He has dealt with them in ways which sometimes the children of God find difficult and trying. 
speaking of Abraham, he is promised to be a father of a great nation, but he had to wait till he was 100 years old before he had a single child. Think of Moses, so enthusiastic to see his people released from the captivity in Egypt that he started to take matters in his own hands and the Lord said no. And he had much to learn and he had to wait another 40 years before starting such things. Think of David. He spent months, if not years, fleeing the murderous threats of Saul even though he had been anointed king. Providence in practice takes us to areas we often do not want to go, but this is so often the way our sovereign God works, and it is to bring us encouragement and to bring us trust and to bring us to a position where we are of greater use to God. If scripture teaches anything, it is this, that God teaches us more in times of testing than on any other occasion. Joseph had to wait in prison for another two years. That's after all the other time he's been in prison. It may well have seemed unnecessary and unproductive for him, but God's ways are God's ways. And we can be certain that those extra two years enabled Joseph to develop character traits that would be necessary for the future. It is, as we've mentioned on a previous occasion, We are so determined, so keen, and in a way, it's not wrong. As a young Christian, we want to get on and serve God and to do useful things for him, and we want to start preaching and all those sort of things. But sometimes God takes us and he trains us and he prepares us, and that takes time. Preparation is not an instant. It isn't that God, as it were, just says, right, now you're a changed person. You're changed in your heart. You're changed in your relationship to him. You're changed because your sin is forgiven. But your character needs to be moulded and to be changed and directed so that you can be useful for God in the days that lie ahead. For Joseph, he built a greater trust in God, a greater dependence, a greater faith. Joseph would never have been able to undertake the work that God had for him if he had not first been trained and prepared And Joseph, above all, avoided any form of bitterness in his heart towards God and towards those around him. You know, Satan is so quick, isn't he, to prompt us to believe that God has forgotten us. Joseph was forgotten by the butler, but he wasn't forgotten by God. It was this that kept him inspired as he waited out those two long years. We think of those Christians who've been imprisoned, those who've been martyred, those who seem so to have been taken so early in life. But God never forgets them. And we deal with our disappointments by trusting and relying on the promises that God brings in his promise of salvation. True forgiveness is promised to every child of God in Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice. One of the things I read was this quote, that we're not to judge God's word by his providence, but rather judge his providence by his word. 
God's providence can be hard to read. I'm sure it was for Joseph to read it with complete understanding. Joseph, no doubt, could look back in the years that lay ahead and see God's dealings with him and how eventually he was able to supply and provide for his father and his brothers and all their family. But at this point, Joseph couldn't see that. It is that we need to see what God's word teaches us to trust God even when we fail to understand his providence. There's a glorious verse in Paul's Song of Love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. It is, you see, that we know God in part. We do not see Christ with our own eyes, but that day will come when we will see him face to face. But the other side of that coin is this, that he sees us. He knows us fully, completely in every part of what we are. And the day will come when we perfectly will understand all that has happened, and it may not be this side of eternity. But we take comfort again in the promise of God. Isaiah sums it up so well in Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. So the word of God encourages us, as it encouraged Joseph, to seek to see every one of God's providences as opportunity for the gospel and a further opportunity to serve our God in the midst of them through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're hearing the gospel here this evening and you haven't obeyed that gospel, you haven't put your faith in Christ, then you should see this evening as part of one of those providences of God speaking to you in his word. You know, perhaps in the light of God's providences in our life, especially as we get older, we find ourselves taking a back seat in the work of Christ. We may have become jaded. We may have become a bit disillusioned or discouraged. Perhaps we decide that we will no longer seek an active involvement in the life of the church. And all I can say is this, if that describes you, then take a long look at this life of Joseph and how he dealt with the disappointments and the frustrations of his own situation. Lying in that jailhouse, he had every excuse in the world just to roll over and play spiritually dead. He had every excuse to bury his talent in the ground, but he didn't. Instead, he stayed committed to the Lord. He used his spiritual gifts, and eventually God used that gift to get him into the very throne room of Pharaoh. And we can say that God may well have a similar things to do. I'm not saying that we will end up in the uh, close room of number 10 Downing Street or Buckingham Palace. I don't mean necessarily that. But that God will have us things to do. He calls us to get on with the job that is before us now. Whatever the circumstances, whatever his providence towards us, may our trust be in him. May our encouragement be in him. Let us never forget that he has promised to supply all our need richly 
through Christ, that it might bring him honour and glory for his name's sake. Amen.